Let me invite you to take God's Word this morning and turn to the Gospel according to St. Mark chapter number 2. Mark chapter 2, as we continue our study through uh, Mark's Gospel account of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to begin in verse 23, and our passage is a little lengthier than some in the past, but we're going to read all the way through chapter 3 and verse number 6. Hear now the words of Scripture. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, what are they doing? Or why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. What am I? I am the most deceptive tool in Satan's arsenal. I am the most common idol of the human heart. I am a malignant growth in the soul. I am the root of all hypocrisy. I am the antithesis of grace. I am the enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am the greatest source of division in the church. And I am the dammer of human souls. I promise heaven, but deliver hell. I promise acceptance before God, but only deliver rejection. I promise freedom but deliver bondage. I produce Pharisees instead of saints, hypocrites instead of true worshipers. I produce hatred instead of love. I produce harshness instead of kindness. And I produce self-righteousness instead of humility. What am I? I am the cancer known as legalism. Now, what is legalism? Well, legalism is defined in several different ways. Tim Keller defines legalism like this. He said legalism is looking to something besides Jesus Christ in order to be acceptable 
and clean before God. John MacArthur describes legalism like this. He says it is to attain spirituality by means of what one does or does not do. He said in legalism, someone establishes an external standard of spirituality and then judges everyone by that standard. And since the individual has established the standard, normally that person always achieves it. To sum it up, legalism is the futile, fatal attempt of an individual to earn God's acceptance and earn God's favor through what you do or what you do not do. It is the idea that our works and our deeds earn us salvation, earn us heaven. And you have to be careful because when it comes to legalism, you have to know that legalism always contains just enough scripture to sound legitimate, but it always promotes works, making it Let me say that again. Legalism has just enough scripture to sound legitimate, but it always promotes works, making it lethal. Our text, Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 6, is the culmination of the Capernaum controversy that we have seen in the life and ministry of Jesus. He is immersed in controversy, has been ever since he returned to Capernaum. Uh, Jesus has revealed himself as who he truly is. And instead of worshiping him, instead of believing in him, the people revile him, the people reject him, the people question him. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, when Jesus reveals himself as the God who forgives sins, people accuse him of blasphemy. In chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, when Jesus reveals that He is the God who receives sinners, they look down their self-righteous nose at Him. When He reveals Himself as the one who makes all things new, they object to what He is doing because His disciples do not fast the way they think they ought to fast. And... When you come to controversies 4 and 5, at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, you find two separate events. The first is the disciples eating grain on the Sabbath day. And the second is Jesus healing a man whose hand is withered on the Sabbath day as well. And in these two events, Jesus is going to confront what could be considered a sacred cow in the Pharisees' religious system. And that is the Sabbath day. And so here's what I want to do. I want to dive into this text, and we're going to look at what made the Pharisees so legalistic. We're going to examine what legalism does, and we're going to see a description of legalism. And my prayer today is this, is that if there is one Centilla, if there is one thread of legalism in our hearts and in our souls, that the Holy Spirit will perform 
surgery this morning and cut away that cancer before it is too late and before it spreads to us, through us, and out to others as well. Because legalism, unlike cancer, is contagious from one person to the next. So what I want to do, I want to give you a description of legalism, a threefold description of legalism, and let's see what it is like, and then we'll see what it does. Well, first from our text, I want you to see that legalism is joyless. It's joyless in verse 23 through 28, and it's joyless because it turns blessings into burdens. Now, what is that central center focus in this text, in these two events, is a day called the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was the seventh day of creation, Saturday. Um, And we read this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. The Sabbath day was the seventh day, Saturday. And in creation, God rested after he had created everything. Now, God didn't rest because he was tired, uh, because he neither slumbers nor sleeps, but he rested for a reason, and we'll see that reason a little bit later. But the Bible says he blessed it. He sanctified it. He set it apart for a reason. And those who followed God honored the Sabbath day. But later, when the law was given by God to Moses, one of the commandments God gave to Moses was to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. The law commanded that God's people, Israel in the Old Testament, honor the Sabbath day, that they keep the Sabbath day and that they do so, one, as a remembrance of God as their creator. When they rested, it was to remind them that God had created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh he had rested. But there was another reason given in Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, God tells Israel to keep the Sabbath day as a reminder of his redeeming work that he performed for his people when they were in Egypt. And so the Sabbath day became a day of remembrance, of reflection. They would remember God as their creator, and they would remember God as their redeemer, and they were to rest from their labors, and they were not to work whenever they came to the Sabbath day. Uh, One writer said that the Sabbath day is God's signpost pointing not only to his goodness toward all man as their creator, but also to his mercy toward his chosen people as their redeemer. Now, when you read the Old Testament, there is one thing you can conclude. God gave the Sabbath day to his people in order to be a blessing to his people. Now, the Sabbath day basically had one one command, simple command, easy command, don't work. Don't work. But do you know what the Pharisees had done? The Pharisees had taken that one command, don't work, 
And they had expounded upon that command and they had studied that command and they had come up with a list of different things that people could not do as a result of that do not do work. They did not want to be in violation of the Sabbath day. So here's what they did. They came up with a list of nearly 1,000 do's and don'ts. You can or you cannot do on the Sabbath day. And listen to me. It's not just that you do this and you violate God. They taught the people, you do this, you sin against God, you're rejected by God. And so people began to fear the Sabbath day and dread the Sabbath day. In his book, The Lifetimes of Jesus the Messiah, Alfred Edersheim describes the following things that were forbidden on the Sabbath day. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, sifting, grinding, sifting in a sieve, kneading, baking, sharing the wool, washing it, beating it, dyeing it, spinning, putting it on the weaver's beam, making two threads, weaving two threads, separating two threads, making a knot, undoing a knot, Sewing two stitches, catching deer, killing, skinning, salting, preparing its skin, scraping off its hair, cutting it up, writing two letters, scraping in order to write two letters, building, pulling down, it's extinguishing a fire, lighting a fire, beating with a hammer, one thing from one place to another. All of those things were forbidden according to the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, remember this. In a legalistic system, when it comes to legalism, it's not you don't just obey laws. It's not talking about obeying what God says. Legalism adds to what God says and bases your acceptance or your rejection from God on whether or not you obey or you disobey. And because of all of these extra laws that the Pharisees had added to one law, don't work. Israelites became terrified of the Sabbath day. I mean, who wants to wake up on a day and and think that there's over a thousand things you could do today that could, could, could condemn you before God and send you to hell? That's a bad day. And so I'd almost volunteer. I'd just stay in the bed on Sabbath. I wouldn't even get up. I'd almost be afraid that breathing would be considered work on the Sabbath day. And that's the way the Israelites viewed the Sabbath day. Instead of delighting in who God was, creator and redeemer, Israel began to dread the Sabbath day with a terrible fear. In fact, this is a reminder of what Jesus said about the Pharisees. And about legalism itself. He says they bind up, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders. You know what a legalistic system always does? It does just that. It, it brings about heavy burdens and it lays it on the back of people. And instead of serving the Lord out of delight and joy, it tells people to do things or don't do things. And whether they do it or whether they don't do it, they are accepted or rejected before God. Now, let's just be real honest. We live in a very legalistic area when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our area, you hear things like this. Well, you're saved by grace, but what you, watch this, do 
after your conversion really is what determines whether you go to heaven or hell. If you die, you can live for the Lord for 50 years. And if you sin one time and die, you're going to go to hell. No matter if you've lived for the Lord 50 years or not. Um, True Christians don't fill in the blank. People who do that go to hell. Have you ever heard things like that in conversations with people? Do you know what that is? That is a form of the Pharisees' first century legalism that has crept into the hearts and the minds of people. And do you know what I found out about people who hear that all the time and who believe that in their heart? They're miserable. They get up in the morning on Monday morning and they have no assurance of their salvation. They don't know whether they're going to go to heaven or go to hell. They just say, I just hope by the skin of my teeth somehow I can make it. And I, uh, when I talk to people most of the time, I, I tell them this, that if, if you really believe what you believe and if what you believe is right, then none of us have a shot of making it. Okay, Because what you're doing is you are basing whether or not you get to heaven on whether or not you've done enough or you haven't, or whether or not you've rejected enough bad things. And, and the idea that you have to be, you have to do this or you don't do this because Christians don't do that or you can't do this and be a Christian or you can't do that and be a Christian. That's all man-made and added to the gospel. That is legalism, beloved, and it will strip the joy out of your salvation. You be around a legalistic Christian. They don't smile. They frown so much they've got wrinkles in their forehead. They're worried to death all the time. They don't know whether they're saved or whether they're lost. Ask somebody you're saved. Yeah. Are you going to heaven? I don't know. How do you... What's, what's the, the, the thinking behind that? Well, it's a legalistic system. And, and here in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, we find here three things about legalism that sucks the joy out of your life. Why it is so joyless. It's joyless. First, because it's ignorant of God's word. Now, here's what's happening in verse 23. It's the Sabbath day. Jesus and his disciples are walking on the Sabbath day, which, by the way, the Pharisees said you're only allowed to take 100 and, or 1,999 steps on the Sabbath day. Uh, you take that 200th step and you're hell bound, or 2,000th step and you're hell bound. Just uh, under 2,000 paces is all you're allowed to do. And so, Jesus and his disciples are walking on the Sabbath day and they walk through a field of grain. And when they walk through the field of grain, they're hungry. What do they do? They pluck the heads of grain and they eat it. Well, the Pharisees at that moment, they accuse them of working. They're harvesting grain is what they say. They're working. Now, we have to ask, are the disciples harvesting grain? No, they're not harvesting grain. They're not harvesting the crop. They're eating. They're eating grain. And so what does Jesus do to respond to their claims? Look what they claim. They say, look, why are are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath day? They think they've got Jesus cornered. And so what does Jesus do in verse 25, which again proves that legalism is ignorant of God's word? He says, 
Have you never read what David did? What David did? What did he do? Well, when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Now, here's what Jesus does. Jesus appeals to Scripture. He goes back to 1 Samuel chapter 21 when David was on the run from King Saul. David had been anointed already by Samuel to be the king of Israel, but Saul was still alive. And while David was on the run, he came to a place called Nob. And when he came to the temple, uh, he and his men were hungry. They were starving to death. And they needed something to eat. All they had was the table of showbread, the bread that was on the table that was unlawful for anyone but a priest to eat. So David goes to him, and David tells him, we're hungry, we need something to eat. And they assure the priest that they're ceremonially clean, that they haven't been with a woman, and they eat. And what Jesus is doing here is basically Jesus is saying to them, did anywhere in the Old Testament condemn David for his actions? I mean, sure, if you look at a hard, rigid view of what he said, then, then didn't David and them sin in doing this? Well, it doesn't say that they sinned in doing this. Nowhere is David condemned for eating the bread when they were hungry. I mean, why? Well, because, one, I think it is showing that God is concerned for his anointed king and his men, therefore he permitted him to eat. But how does that relate to here what God is doing or what Jesus is doing with the Pharisees. Well, here's what he's saying to them. Well, number one, we're not working. We are not harvesting. We're eating. And nowhere in the law are you forbidden to eat on the Sabbath day. You're allowed to eat. They were not working. And so what Jesus is doing is Jesus is saying here, what you think we're doing is not what we're actually doing. We're not working. Paul permits us to go into a field and to pluck whatever is left in the field and eat it. Remember the story of Ruth. We're not forbidden to eat on the Sabbath day. But do you know what the Pharisees had done? The Pharisees had added their law to the law and thus they had increased the burden on the people. Here's what I've noticed about legalism. Legalism never appeals to rightly divided scripture. Never appeals to rightly divided scripture. You deal with legalism, you know what you'll get? You'll get a verse plucked from here, a verse plucked from there, a verse plucked from here, and it's all out of context, not in its proper context. And and they use it in a way to prove what they believe. Uh, about like the preacher I once heard who said he had a great sermon. He's just looking for a text to go with it. Well, they've got a great law and they need a verse to go with it. And so they'll pluck it out of anywhere just to prove their point. Furthermore, legalism, not only is it not only based on rightly divided scripture, most of the time legalism also upholds tradition more than it does God in its ignorance of God's word. You hear things like this. My mom always said this. My dad always said this. My mama and papa, here's what they always said. 
There's never an appeal to, this is what Scripture says. This is what the Word of God says. Beloved, listen to me. With all due respect, as one who loves my parents, as one who loves my grandparents, uh, we dare not base what we believe simply on what Mamma says or Papa said or Mom said or Dad We must appeal to Scripture for what we believe or we will be burdened with the yoke of legalism and it will bind us and hold us down. Legalism is ignorant of God's Word, but secondly, legalism is ignorant of God's design. Look here what he says in verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Do you see what it does? Sabbath or legalism turns things up on its head, upside down. Jesus is saying, if you really understood Scripture, you would really understand this. God gave the Sabbath to be a blessing to man. And, and, did God create man before He ordained the Sabbath? Which came first? Adam or the Sabbath? Adam, man, came first. The Sabbath was after creation. And so what he's saying was, God didn't create the Sabbath and say, oh, I need a man to serve the Sabbath day. No, God created his creation and man. And he said, here is a day for him to be blessed. I bless him with this. And he's saying, you turn things up on its head. Legalism does the same thing. You know what legalism does? Legalism gets the cart before the horse. Now understand, when it comes to obeying commands of Scripture, it's not legalistic to say that we must obey the commands of Scripture. That's just obedience. That's not legalism at all. But legalism goes beyond that and adds to what Scripture says. And legalism says that your acceptance before God is based on doing and not doing Certain things. Tim Keller says, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But the gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. And there is a difference in those two views. One is legalistic and leads to burdens and dread. The other is gospel and it leads to blessing and delight. And so it's ignorant of God's design But thirdly, it's ignorant of Christ's sovereignty. Look what he says in verse 28. So the Son of Man, there's a reference to Daniel, of the Son of Man, Jesus proclaiming himself to be Son of Man, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, here, Jesus kind of backhands the Pharisees. It's it's kind of comical. What he says here is this. I'm just going to remind you of who's who here. I don't need you to tell me what the Sabbath day is about. I'm the one who instituted it. I'm the one who blessed it. I'm the one who created it. I'm the one who sanctified it and set it apart. I know what the Sabbath day is about. Don't lecture me about the laws concerning the Sabbath. I was the one who spoke them to Moses and wrote them on the law, on the tablet. I am Lord of The Sabbath. And so, since he's the author of the Sabbath and its laws, he knows what he and his disciples did by just simply eating grain from a field 
did not violate the Sabbath laws of the Old Testament. So, what happens? Well, the Pharisees are joyless because legalism leads to being joyless. But secondly, not only do we see that legalism is joyless, but when you come to chapter 3, you find that legalism is also heartless. It's heartless. Now, what's going on? And it's heartless mainly because it cares more about rules than it does people. Now, the scene changes, but the day remains the same. It's still the Sabbath day. And this time, they're not in a field. This time, they're in a synagogue. And the Pharisees corner Jesus for, um, not for eating grain on the Sabbath, but they corner Jesus in hopes that Jesus is going to perform a miracle. And if they can catch Jesus performing a miracle, then they say, we can accuse him of working on the Sabbath day. Now, what's happening? Well, verse 1, they've got him set up. Because he says, a man was there with a withered hand. And it says they watched Jesus to see whether he would tell him on the whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Do you know what happened? They think they've got the trap set. It's a spiritual ambush. We've got everything just the way it is. We know how loving Jesus is, how compassionate Jesus is, how kind Jesus is. And if he comes to this synagogue and this man is here with a withered hand, then Jesus is going to heal him. And if Jesus heals him, then we've got our evidence that this miracle worker is performing miracles on the Sabbath day and we can condemn him according to the law. Well, does Jesus step into their trap? Well, Jesus obliterates their trap because he does exactly what they think he's going to do. He heals the man. He heals the man on the Sabbath day. He says to him, come here. And so the man with the withered hand comes to him. In verse 4, Jesus says to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And watch this. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness, at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Now, what Jesus does here, by going ahead and walking headlong into their trap, knowing what they had done, he does it on purpose. And he does it really to reveal the type of heart that is associated with legalism. What type of heart the Pharisees have? Now, there's two descriptions of the type of heart that legalists have. First is what I call a critical heart. Legalistic people have critical hearts. That doesn't mean that they might die. It just means that they like to criticize. They, they're very critical of, of, of everyone else. They like to pick out what's wrong with everyone else. They look for ways to trap people. Have you ever been around a critical person who all the time criticizes someone else? They can find the bad spot in anything. They're always looking at one person and that person saying, I'm better than them, better than them, or this one did this, or this one did that. Why do they do that? Well, they do that as a way to lift themselves up. Now, get this. The Pharisees are here in the synagogue, a place where God's word is to be read, to be explained, to be applied. But you know all they care about? is catching Jesus and doing something that just isn't right. Now, question. How many times have we been guilty like the Pharisees. 
If we ever come to church, the place where God's word is to be sung, to be read, to be preached, to be expounded, to be applied, and when we come to church, we're only wondering about what somebody's going to be wearing so we can accuse them of dressing immodestly. Have you ever come to church before and wondering what somebody's going to be driving, what's going to be parked out in the parking lot, and when you see it, you think, Oh, that's just somebody boasting about their worldly success and how much money they have in the world. That, that's, that's, that's pride in their heart. Have you ever come to church before and think, well, you know what? I wonder which child's going to act up this morning in church. Yeah. Listen, and this may be mean to me, and this is a parenthetical, and I've prayed many imprecatory psalms or prayers on people. When, when one of our girls would act up at a restaurant or they'd act up in church, somebody looked at them like, huh, that's a pitiful parenting right there. Calm that child down. I think, I hope you have a child and I hope it's the meanest thing that ever breathed. And when your child walks on the pews in the middle of the church service or dumps spaghetti over its head or throws its pop at the next table, I'm going to look at you and say, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah. But, but honestly... And this is true. Again, parenthetical. Children don't bother me. Crying babies don't bother me. Little kids, two and three years old, that act up and that doesn't bother me. You know what would bother me? Is not hearing that sound at all in a church. That means your church is probably just a generation away from being extinct. But you know what the Pharisee does? The Pharisee looks at him and says, huh, if they were parent they'd take care of that the Pharisee says if that person was godly they wouldn't act like that what are you doing what are we doing well, we're guilty of acting just like the Pharisees acted in this passage of scripture you see legalists look for ways to trap people they look for ways to catch someone who's doing something outside of their mode of what is right and what is wrong? And when they catch you outside of that moat, they accuse you, they criticize you. It's a critical heart. But also, it's a calloused heart. Look what it says. Well, one, it says that there was a man there with a withered hand. Now think of this. Think of this. Here's a man whose hands withered. That word withered literally means to be shriveled up like a dried, dead plant. How many... How many times do you think this man has gone into town? He's tried to find ways to hide his hand. How many times do you think that he has been around and some little kid has seen, has been with its parent and said, Mommy, what's wrong with his hand? And he in embarrassment and shame has tried to hide it. How much pain do you think this man has felt? How many things he's tried to do? Now think of their society. They, they didn't have technology in that day to where one with a handicap could could still make it well. No. How's he going to plow a field? How's he going to work outside with a withered hand? He's crippled. He's handicapped. And he's got all of that pressure on him. And here are the Pharisees. They see this man and there's not one ounce of compassion for him. They see him as a tool whereby to trap Jesus, they could care less about the man. Here's what I've noticed about legalism. Legalism doesn't care about people. It doesn't. 
fastest cares about themselves and molding people into their own mold. And so Jesus knows this. But thankfully, Jesus was compassionate. And he asked him the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? He knows what they're doing. He's saying, which is right? Do I have to wait to tomorrow to do what's right just because of what day it is? He said, no. It's always the right time to do the right thing. And then it says they were silent. They thought they were entrapping Jesus, but he's got them now. They can't answer him. And then it says that he looked around at them with anger. You know, Jesus never got mad at the prostitutes. Jesus was never angry at the drunks. Jesus was never angry at the tax collectors and the sinners. Never. The only people in the gospel that it ever says Jesus was angry with and mad with, the Pharisees. Those who were legalistic. Those who thought you could earn God's favor by what you do and don't do and who attempted to force their legalistic system on others. Here, Jesus was mad, angry at them. And he wasn't only angry. It also says he was grieved. He was brokenhearted. Why? Because he knew was grieved at their hardness of heart. He knew that their legalism came from a heart that had been hardened. It came from a heart that was so hardened toward others that, that they, could not even, they could not even show kindness and mercy and grace to a crippled man. Beloved, not only are legalistic people joyless, they're heartless. They don't care about people. They don't care about the gospel. No. Why? All they, are, all they care about, again, is their extra biblical commands and their do's and their don'ts. Don't be a Pharisee. Legalism is heartless. But thirdly, legalism is hopeless. How does it end? Well, Legalism is hopeless because it opposes God while pretending to serve Him. Look what happens after, it ha- after this event. He says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Him, how to destroy Him. Now this is the climax of this section. Jesus is back in Capernaum. He shows Himself as the God who forgives sins, the God who receives sinners, the God who makes all things new, the One who is the Lord of the Sabbath, a compassionate Savior. And how do the people who witnessed it all respond to Him? Not with worship, not with properly uh, receiving Him, but they respond to it. By rejecting Him, by rebelling against Him, and by opposing Him. The Pharisees, which was the religious sect of town, met up with the Herodians. Now the Herodians was a political group of people who were sympathetic with King Herod. They supported King Herod. Most of the time the Pharisees hated the Herodians. The Pharisees saw the Herodians as political sellouts to King Herod. Do anything to get a little bit of power. But here they have a common enemy. 
common enemy is Jesus. The Herodians hated Jesus because they thought he was a threat to the throne. I mean, if there's an uprising in this area, then Rome's going to come down on Herod. The Pharisees hated Jesus because he was a threat to their religion. He's talking in ways that they're not used to hearing. And and so what they say is, he's going to destroy Israel or he's going to destroy our religion. So let's get together and let's destroy him first. Notice what they said. It said they immediately held counsel. They held counsel how to destroy him. You see, the Pharisees wanted people to believe that they loved God, that they were worshipers of God, that they followed God's law. But ultimately, they ended up opposing God because they rejected the Messiah, the one whom God sent. And so, beloved, it doesn't matter what law you keep, doesn't matter what command someone has told you you ought to obey, you try to obey it, it doesn't matter about your law keeping. All that matters is how you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. We went over the second psalm Wednesday night. The second psalm is a reminder of this passage. I'm a reminder of the second psalm in this passage. David begins the second psalm by saying, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. And here's what they say. Let us burst the bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Literally, the rebellion of the world is seen in the rejection of the Messiah. And we see that rejection put on display here. Because Jesus was a threat. Jesus was a threat to their religion, a threat to their nation. Today, ultimately... Legalism does the same thing, doesn't it? It rejects Jesus. It rejects who He is and what He has done. It comes alongside and says, Jesus, you need my help. If we can be saved by what we do or we don't do, then Calvary was the biggest joke of all time. Calvary was unnecessary. Calvary was cruel. Calvary was, as one has said, divine child abuse. If it wasn't necessary, why would he do that if we could be good enough to get there on our own? You see, listen to me. If you get anything from the message, get this. You don't impress God by what you do. You don't impress God by what you refuse to do. Furthermore, you are not accepted before God by your works or your deeds or what you do. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight, Scripture says. Stopping bad habits will not earn you acceptance before God. Attending church will not earn you acceptance before God. Being baptized will not earn you acceptance before God. Enduring to the end will not earn you acceptance before God. Holding on to Jesus will not earn you acceptance before God. No. It won't do it. Not at all. 
You know what earned you acceptance before God? Knowing that on the cruel cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ bore your sin in your body on the tree. He died in your place, in your stead. He was buried and He was raised again the third day. Believing in that and that alone for your salvation is the only thing that can earn you acceptance before God. You're saved by works, but they're not your own works. You're saved by the works of the Lord Jesus Christ and His works alone. I hate legalism. With every fiber of my being, I hate it. I've seen what it does to people. I've seen how it snatches peace away from people. And I've seen people struggle with it. Because in legalism, you never know if you've done enough. You never know if you're good enough. You never know if you're saved on Monday or lost on Tuesday or saved again on Wednesday and lost again on Thursday. You never know. You're miserable. And I've seen the misery. I've got a job as your pastor. And I feel that one of my jobs is to help you die well. It's my job. I want to help you die well. The only way I know to help you die well is to tell you about Jesus and what he has done. I've been by the bedsides of, of loved ones who struggled in their last hours on this earth because they had listened to some garbage their entire life that told them they had to be good enough. They wondered, is there something that I've done that could keep me out? Have I been good enough to get to go in? Will he accept me? I promise you, I hate it. Because it is so contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It not only robs people of their joy and of their peace. It robs Jesus of his glory. When you get to heaven. If you get to heaven because you were good enough to get there. Because you did all the enduring. Then when you get to heaven. The song you're going to be singing is worthy is the lamb in me. He was slain and I helped him along. He couldn't get me there on his own, so I had to help him out a little bit. That does not work. That robs him of his glory. Do you know our only hope of getting into heaven? When we stand before God in the judgment, the only hope we will ever have is to look at the one who sits on the throne and say this, Nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. 
Your only hope of salvation, beloved, is trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone. To Him who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted to Him for righteousness, Scripture says. Don't ever think for one split second that you can impress God by what you do. Don't think for one split second that you can impress God by what you don't do. It doesn't impress Him. What impresses God is His Son. What pleases God is His Son. What God accepts is His Son and His Son alone. And the only way anyone is accepted before God is to be in His Son. And how are you in His Son? By faith, by believing, and by trusting. And so today, maybe you, maybe, maybe one of the things that have kept you from trusting in Christ and becoming a Christian, one of the tools Satan has used is legalism. You think, oh, I would go to church, I would get saved, but you know what? I just can't live it. Can't do it, can't live it. But that tells me that you've been indoctrinated by Pharisees <laughs> because the Christian life is not about following rules and regulations. Sure, God gives us commands, and sure, we are commanded to follow that. That's not legalism. But when we start adding different things to it, man-made things to it, then we become Pharisees. We're not saved because of that. We're saved because we trust in Jesus. So today, here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you right now. Do you trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your acceptance before God? If not, then I encourage you to do that today. I encourage you to do it now. And here's what I can promise you from God's word. If you will trust him and him alone for your salvation, he will forgive you of your sins. He will declare you righteous and just in the court of heaven. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. He will walk with you and he will take you to heaven. And this life is over with. And he will receive you before God, before himself. Not because of what you have done, but because of what his son did on your behalf. Let's pray.